1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins.
3: What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to this podcast about independent music of the hardcore, punk, indie rock, emo variety, whatever it is you want to label it. As long as it is in small, sweaty rooms in some capacity and that whole DIY spirit exists, that is what we cover. Today, I have a person who I have always wanted to speak to. The opportunity came up. I pounced on it. It is Chris Simpson from Mineral. And he also currently plays in a band called Mountain Time, and uh, he's also played in the Gloria record, and just a very prolific guy, and very influential to not only my musical upbringing, but I know many of yours, that uh, personally ushered me along from, um, you know, stopping listening to just music that screamed at me. <laughs> I know. I always cite uh, Mineral, Texas is the reason, and Sensfield for bringing me along to be like, "Hey, Ray, you don't need to just listen to this style of music. You can open your lens up a little bit, um, you know." But and as a fifteen or sixteen year old, that's what you need to hear. And then when I heard the power of failing, I was like, "Oh, I see. I, I I'm here. I'm listening." But uh, Chris was very generous with his time, and I love this conversation. So. That's what we're going to do. But you can always email the show, 100 wordspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you want to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, that is always appreciated. And then you can leave a star rating on Spotify. I know every podcast asks you to do that, but uh, you know what's one more? What's like another five seconds out of your day to do that? I would appreciate that. Uh, I'm actually currently uh, I'm getting ready to go to the UK for Outbreak Fest. If you are in the general Manchester United Kingdom area, uh, I encourage you to come out to the festival. I know that uh, the tickets are sold out, but I know that there are some places in the secondary market that you can uh, pick stuff up. But I'm doing live podcasts out there, and I'm incredibly excited about it because I get to have some chats with uh, people not only in person, but uh, in front of a live audience. And uh, I'll eventually release those on this particular feed at some point. Um, maybe not all, because uh, I always like to keep, you know, a little bit of that for the uh, the special festival experience. But I'm really excited because I'll be having like four to six chats a day. Um, all, uh, you know, probably around a half an hour or something like that. But if you are a listener of this show and you are going to that fest, I would love to meet you. I'll have merch for the first time. I'm incredibly excited about that. So fun stuff in store. And, um, yeah, let's, let's talk to Chris Simpson. Like I said, um, he plays in a band called Mountain Time, who they, he's released, uh, I would say like a full length and a couple EPs over the past couple of years is gearing up for a new release, um, has put out some singles as of late. So I, if you are a fan of Mineral, you will love this because it's Chris Simpson and his voice, you know, carries all <laughs> across all of his projects and, uh, Mountain Time is, uh, is really, really good. So I encourage you to check it out, but, we uh, paint with a very broad brush here talk about mineral talk about their reunions and then also talk about the oil biz that's where his family came from so anyways let's talk to mr chris simpson and uh, i will tell you what's happening on the next week's episode at the very end of this one that's how we do it here so here's chris (laughs) Hardcore kid of a certain age in my early 40s, the uh, you know whole indie rock and emo world started to open up to me in the late 90s, uh, just because my musical lens opened to the fact that I could listen to music that uh, wasn't screaming. You know, like that's a positive thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. And I'm sure that this statement has been echoed back to you in regards to, you know, Mineral being a, uh, you know, sort of a starter kit where it's like, okay, here, you know, here's Jimmy World and Texas the Reason and, you know, Mineral and here's all these (laughs) these bands you can listen to and kind of listen to more than just, you know, your average hardcore stuff. Um, Does, you know, how does that... reflect on your experience as far as people telling you these anecdotal stories of like, Oh yes, I listened to, you know, this style of music. And then now I was able to broaden my lens. Um, is that a common thing that gets brought up to you or is that just my weird head working that way?
4: Well, I think it's probably pretty common, you know, uh, I think, you know, mineral, we found ourselves in this like wonderful kind of network of, Bands across the country that um, it wasn't really a scene that we knew existed beforehand. Like, we weren't really coming from the hardcore scene. Um, but I, in a bit, our drummer Gabe was, he had grown up in the Bay Area and, you know, had been into like, you know, the early days of like Gilman Street and all that, like uh, Crimp Shrine and Op Ivy and. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so he probably had more of an idea about like this kind of DIY punk rock scene than any of the rest of us. Um, But I think coming in, you know, just sort of like being accepted into this scene when we were, um, I feel like I met a lot of people who were, like looking for that same thing or like uh, the sort of music we were doing and a lot of our peers, like some of the ones you mentioned uh, seemed to be striking a chord with a lot of hardcore people. If it was just like a musical evolution they went through after that, or, you know, even something as simple as like you said, the, you know, they're not screaming. Um, Right. (laughs) right. They're, they're singing. Um, And it's funny. Like I, yeah i i think it's i think it was sort of common and I think that happens to a lot of people like you know you look at uh the way some of the bands developed you know like mineral We only put out two records, so we didn't have a ton of evolutionary development to our sound but uh you see the way a lot of bands from that scene in that era developed and and it seems like a lot of them came from a harder kind of more hardcore sound and got increasingly sort of, you know, poppy or even, I don't know, some, some bands took turns even more to like folk or country or, uh, you for, for the scene, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking of like, uh, the last promise ring record and, and the, like the third get up kids record and sure. Uh, bands that, you know, really I guess maybe in some sense Jimmy World World, uh, Bleed American like just all of a sudden felt like a it seemed like the evolution was getting more uh, I guess uh, accessible you know
3: yeah well you could stretch your legs I mean even looking at a band like you know Split Lip, Split Lip slash Chamberlain where it's like watching them evolve from record to record where it was understanding the idea that you know these were you know punk and hardcore kids but then had a grasp on like how to play their instruments (laughs) you know and then Mm -hmm. and not not i know that sounds disparaging towards you know bands that you start when you're younger but you just start to build more of a musical palette and I, i think that because you're playing these type of shows you know in small sweaty rooms and plus like to your point when you were getting out there initially subculture attracts subculture so it's not like you could be too precious about who you played with it was just like oh cool who can we play at the huntington beach library like okay cool who's playing doesn't matter no it's fine
4: <laughs> yeah there. yeah that's certainly how it felt with mineral for me you know like not, not having necessarily been familiar with that scene beforehand it felt like immediately like a warm welcoming place that uh was full of Interesting people who who were doing things a little differently, you know, and that that certainly appealed to us.
3: Sure, no, I totally get that, and I'll, I'll pull those threads a little bit later. But um, focusing on you and as a person, um, were you actually born and raised in the Austin area? I didn't uh, know your sort of biographical,
4: um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs>
3: up, upbringing, as it were. Yeah,
4: no, I was born in uh, Omaha, in Nebraska. There's actually a Glory record song called "I Was Born in Omaha," which is uh, th- uh, wow, which that's, is truthful. Who-
3: yeah, I was gonna and, say it was like I'm very familiar with the lyric. I just okay. did not know it was about you, literally. Okay. Yeah,
4: yeah, uh, not fiction. Um, I I was born there, um, and then we lived in Houston, Texas, for a bit when I was really young. Like this was all like pre five, and then we around when I was five, settled in Denver, Colorado, and so I mostly feel like that's where I grew up. I was there till almost the end of high school and then finished like my last year of high school back down in Houston. Um, And soon sort of actually after I finished high school in Houston, I moved immediately back to Denver thinking that's where I wanted to be. And I got back there and a bunch of my friends were a year or two older than me. And we're like going to college out of state. A lot of people had moved out to California. And I was like, I guess, you know, I know this place. Like, Maybe I should try something that I'm not familiar with. Um, And so a bunch of people I had met, musicians especially, in Houston at the end of high school had all moved up to Austin after school, and that seemed like a cool place. So I ended up back there, like, summer of 93, and shortly after that met uh, Scott and started playing music with him from Mineral. Got it. And in your... I guess, formative years
3: in in Denver as you started to, you know, become aware as a person. (laughs) What was your, uh, excuse me, what was your uh, family structure like as you were growing up, like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters?
4: Yeah, I have one uh, older brother who is actually um, the uh, super Irish one, like uh, nine months and 12 days older than me. And (laughs) That's, uh, That's perfect which is perfect, uh, adopted, which makes it uh, make a little more sense. But um, we, yeah, so we were really close when small. And, you know, we have no memory of this because we've always been very different and kind of butted heads most of our time growing up. So uh, we were assured by our parents that we were once very close but uh, have not really been much since. Um, and mom and dad in the house...
3: Online merchandise purveyors rockabilia.com. They are the highest quality. And I know that maybe sounds a little robotic, but trust me, you go to their website and you will be able to find so many pieces of merch that you will have in your closet, lickety split. When you use this code, 100 words or less, that gets you 10% off your order. But all joking aside, they are one of the best places that you can buy officially licensed banned merch on the internet. It's really important because the bands get paid. You're supporting an independent business. You're supporting this very podcast. It is a very virtuous cycle that happens when you interact with rockabilly.com. Buy merch for yourself. Buy merch for your family and friends. And you will also get the band kicked in on the back end. I love it. It works in so many different aspects. So again, rockabilly.com, promo code 100 words or less. Thank you for your continued support, Rockabilia. I love you, and I love the job that you do. Rockabelia.com.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like, maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken, and I wish that I would be able to, like, get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate.
4: Uh, My dad did many things. He worked largely in the oil industry, Mm, um, which is why we kind of were between Houston and Denver. And I think they lived in Kansas city a bit um, before we were born. Um, Sure. And my mom was, uh, you know, primarily a homemaker until we were a bit older. Like uh, I think maybe by the time we were in middle school, she started working jobs at like the schools that we worked at oftentimes. Like, that's as if it's not embarrassing enough to get sent to the office. You have to like, in my case, you have to pass your mom at the reception desk on the way. And she would like, right. what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm just kind of sent to the principal, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so she did that f- for a bit. And, uh, and then she got really into like around the time we moved away, um, my brother and I, she got really into, uh, went through all this training and certification to become a paramedic and worked like, you know, like a full career doing that until she retired from that. Um, So that kind of feels like her, that was her main passion thing that she did. Sure. Sure. And was there
3: any uh, hope that you were going to do the uh, oil biz as it were?
4: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think there was ever any uh, illusion on my father's part that I was destined for anything other than kind of where I ended up, you know?
3: Sure, right. The uh, the musical failure that you are. No, just yes, exactly.
4: Uh, <laughs> or or some other far flung uh, romantic ideal of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> totally, because I mean,
3: when you look at these, uh, you know, certain types of uh, industry whether it's you know working with your hands and like you know become a doctor lawyer whatever i i know the common trope especially for people that pursue an artistic life is that it's so esoteric for parents to understand where it's just like wait how are you going to do this and like why are you going to make a living so you know the idea of your your father being involved in the industry and just being like well yeah well chris is obviously gonna like do something around this and it's like no that's not even That's not even a thing.
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it was, and I think to be fair, like, I think, you know, that industry had so many ups and downs throughout the like eighties and nineties when I was growing up that like it was really feast or famine. And I think at some point before we moved back down to Texas, where I finished high school, at some point early to mid high school era for me, my dad was working, because the oil business was just kind of in the, in the tank. Like he was working, uh, he got certified to sell insurance and he had some like route where he would drive out to these mountain towns and had a certain amount of customers and was like an insurance salesman. And then he got his real estate license for a while and was like selling houses. Like at some point he was working like 80, 85 hours a week, like doing all these different things. Uh, to to keep things afloat and i think that's actually why we moved back down to texas when we did in the early 90s because he uh he got an offer at a company down there that was like well i could make all the money i need to make and just work a regular like one job week you know
3: right yeah there's it's more stability rather than the you know roller coaster of how the uh you know the barrels are trading that day or whatever
4: yeah yeah for sure
3: uh as you were going you know into junior high and high school and everything like that um i'm going to do a little uh, armchair psychology <laughs> on you i mean from all the times i've seen i never got to see mineral when you guys were uh you know b- touring in the the mid 90s as it were just cuz i was again just paying attention to hardcore so i missed you guys mm-hmm. when you came through southern california um but the uh, from all the times that i've seen you you know post uh, reunion you're obviously a soft-spoken dude you're not the guy that's like sucking the air out of the room where it's like hey look, you know I'm, I'm chris simpson ready to ready to cut it up with all you mm-hmm. um, was that always kind of hard baked in you like did you find yourself you know being that a- as a kid and that's always kind of been who you were or did you uh you know try on different uh identities as it were
4: uh yeah i think i've always been pretty quiet pretty uh reserved i think i have to uh <clears throat> yeah, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm definitely not comfortable, uh, when the attention is drawn to me or comfortable drawing the attention to me, like in a, in a room, you know, um, which is, you know, a little weird that I ended up doing what I do, but it feels, uh, I mean, on a personal level, like when socializing with people, you know, yeah um, so yeah, I think I was kind of always that way. Um my mom uh likes to talk and tell stories and uh she's usually doing that, you know. Um so I think there was uh there was a uh an empty space in the in the family dynamic for like the quiet guy, so I, I slotted right in there.
3: <laughs> I love that where you're like <laughs> Listen, my mom is taking care of the, uh, you know, loudmouth storyteller or whatever. Um, not like you said that. I said that to be clear. Um, just so you, you don't get in trouble with your mother. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because I know she's going to listen to this. Um, <laughs> of course. Of uh, But just that idea that you were able to kind of figure out your lane, whether you articulated that in your head or not, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll be the, uh, you know, quiet introspective one. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting like I, I mean i think you know like nature nurture like i'm sure it was some of both but like i was definitely very uh quiet i remember as a kid like being very happy playing on my own and like i had this walk-in closet in my bedroom which i thought was the coolest thing ever and it was just like this magical place where i love to just go in there and shut the door and you know could sort of pretend or imagine anything and uh I, you know, I I have strong memories of like sitting in there writing songs and, uh, yeah, I liked, I was pretty happy being on my own and just kind of in a world of my imagination.
3: Right. We're, I'm going to maybe, uh, project some of myself on you. I definitely, (laughs) re as an only child i'd entertain myself a lot of the times and the whole closet like you mentioning that i just remember playing in my mother's closet which was bigger than my closet with all of like my gi joe's and action figures and stuff like that and creating these Mm -hmm. huge worlds um was there an aspect of that too where it was just like oh we'll leave chris in his space and then he can you know like you said as you're older writing songs and stuff like that but were you left to your own devices a lot of the time because you seemed most comfortable in that
4: Yeah, I think so. You know, like we had some good friends like on the street we lived on in Denver. And I mean, I would definitely go out and play with other kids too. And we would like ride bikes and go to these like dirt trails that were kind of at the edge of our subdivision. Um, But it, it, yeah, it did feel like, uh, it felt like in a lot of ways, like I say this sort of, mournfully like it it felt like a a different time uh in that like i have four kids now and it's like it just doesn't feel like the world is the same you know like i can't just let my kids (laughs) i can't let my kids be quite as free as i maybe was left you know like uh, but you know like i said my mom was pretty much home you know we always knew we could go back home and there she was, but, uh, right. We, uh, yeah, we definitely were, uh, in our era, I think, left to, to fend for ourselves a bit more maybe.
3: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, when you were, um, you know, probably in high school and identifying with music a little bit more, where did the introduction of a more independent, you know, minded, Uh, bands and you know a quote unquote scene as it were when did that start to uh, emerge for you and uh, like how did that get introduced to you
4: yeah that was really uh, sort of in conjunction with Mineral Um, I mean I I definitely you know I got into I was into everything Uh, you know my mom was like heavily into music and playing music all the time and so my my early influences to be, you know, get that excited about music, I think came from her. Um, But uh, I think, you know, like with her, I would have, I would have been hearing like Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and uh, Chicago. She loved Chicago. Um, uh, And then, you know, as the eighties, started cooking, there was like, uh, Lionel Richie and Barry Malo and Michael Jackson and like all the big pop stuff. And, uh, I, I was just really, really excited about music and really into music. And I think knew from even like a before ever trying to play any music in any way, uh, mm-hmm. that it's what I wanted to do. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, um, middle school like i got into skateboarding for a while and through that like made a lot of friends who listened to a lot of like kind of more punk stuff like definitely heard like minor threat and bad brains and um stuff like that through people there um sure and then i got you know there was also obviously the like this period of the 80s where it was like hair metal and uh, I was totally into all that. Um did you and- did
3: you ever ha like did you try to embody the fashion as well or no?
4: <laughs> sure, I would have wanted to, yeah. I uh <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I definitely grew my hair longer, like early high school. Um yeah, I was into it. Um I remember uh I there was this store in the mall where you could, you could make your own t-shirts and you could see like all these band like iron on decals basically or like sure. it could have been like pop culture stuff too like tv shows and stuff you could like choose your shirt and then choose one of these thing decals to put on it and i remember making myself this iron maiden shirt that was oh. like on a long sleeve pink t-shirt Ooh. and these uh and i was skating you know and like these skater guys that i used to hang out with used to give me so much crap about this shirt. And they're like, what? i just weird choice to like put Iron Maiden on like a pink long sleeve <laughs> like, shirt, you know, like, I mean, it feels like you, you know, but it just, it's, it's funny, you know? And uh it, I think it is very, it was very me. Like, cause I, I, I don't know. Cause I was into skating and that whole culture had was into a lot of the, like the colors were brighter and it was more like, yeah Yeah, like pastels and stuff like no like it just made sense to me but uh i wish i still had that shirt i'm sure it was awesome
3: oh yeah well i'm (laughs) i just i mean the juxtaposition of the idea especially that era too where it's like you know metal didn't traffic in those uh you know aesthetics and so for, for you to bring the you know skate culture of whatever santa cruz skateboards all that sort of you know coastal attire gonna <laughs> be like all right i'm gonna combine my two worlds and see yeah. how they feel about this yeah yeah Funny. that's that's very forward thinking were you um were you uh good at skating at all like you know could you do some uh kick flips, uh three stairs what are we talking here
4: totally yeah i was best at like street ramp sort of stuff like we used okay. to make these like ramps and uh like i never really got into half pipe like big ramps but just like launch ramps and stuff like uh that kind of stuff I was really into. And uh, we actually got me and some buddies like sponsored by a local skate shop. So it's not like, you know, like being pros or anything, but it's like, uh, you know, we got to go to all the like cool expos in town where like, you know, the, the pros would be coming through and putting on shows and stuff. So, right. I was definitely like immersed in that world for a couple of years. And really it was when I, really heavily got into music that i just like totally dropped that it was just like and i had a lot of friends who did both you know but for me it was just like as soon as i got there like music was everything i was i was done with everything else
3: yeah that's it's funny because i mean you hit the nail on the head where i mean a lot of people get introduced to you know independent music via skateboarding as you've illustrated but usually they try to have both, I mean, not like they're trying to pursue being in a band and, you know, being a professional skater, maybe in conjunction with one another. But I, I just like that sort of cold turkey where it's like, all right, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be sponsored. So like, I'm going to go ahead and do this music thing because <laughs> it seems like it's yeah. could to it out a little better.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think it was more just, I just very naturally like, lost all interest in anything else <laughs> like yeah, totally. it wasn't it wasn't like a sacrifice it wasn't like you know this isn't working out for me i'm not going to do the same i was just like i don't have time to do anything else anymore right. <laughs> you know like this is my thing now
3: sure sure and by you starting to get into all of this you know counterculture stuff skateboarding and you know bringing you know metal home and uh, all these things that your parents probably had very little context for were they ever uh, you know sit you down being like Hey Chris, um, you know this this is concerning. Like, what is what's up with this Iron Maiden band, this Number of the Beast? Like, you know, was there any conversations uh, that went on like that?
4: Yeah, definitely. There was um, there was some concern. I think that um, I was uh, I don't know. I remember I bought like this one shirt that I really loved. That was like a tie dye shirt, and uh, that coupled with the like. I think the Iron Maiden shirt, like I definitely remember my mom just explaining to me once that, uh, basically like growing your hair long and wearing these things sort of associates you in some way with like drugs and like bad people, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like perception wise, like other people might look at you and assume that you're, Different than what you actually are, you know? Um, And I remember just being so like annoyed by that, you know? I'm (laughs) like, I mean, like, good looking out, mom, but you know, like, I just, I don't really care what other, what other people think, you know, like
3: that's their problem.
4: I'm, I'm I'm totally happy. Like just being myself and like, yeah. I mean, I think it was more probably concern on her part. Like people are going to, what, what are people going to think? My son is into, you know, like, (laughs) um, so yeah, I don't know. Um,
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well that, I mean, and plus, it's, you know, especially if there's any, um, you know religious overtones to the house there there is that element of just like this is like this is going to reflect badly on us as if we go to church on sundays or whatever
4: <laughs> yeah it definitely yeah this i mean that's that's a piece of it and we went to church and i was actually really into it too you know like i you know i was pretty involved in like youth group with my parents church and uh i had uh you know at 14 uh what <laughs> like this weird uh What I at the time or for a few years after would have referred to even as like a conversion experience, you know, like, like really felt like, oh, wow, I'm a Christian, you know. Um, Right. And uh, so that was, I mean, I think they knew that that was part of my identity, too, at the time, you know. So maybe uh, they were struggling with the. uh,
3: (laughs) Yeah, all the moving parts.
4: Yeah, they were probably tr- struggling, as I was, to figure out exactly who this guy was. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think there was, throughout high school, there was, uh, I think, a lot of concern from my parents uh, about just the fact that I no longer had any ambition for doing anything, like, you know, quote-unquote, normal. You know, like, right. like I, I didn't plan to go to college. Like, I had no interest in that. Like, I actually did okay in school. Like, I struggled a bit my first few years in high school just because I didn't care. And it didn't make sense to me why I, I had to care or try to do good, you know. Um, but by the end of high school, like, I had sort of realized, like, this is actually, you know, like, pretty easy. Like, the work to to get Good grades and then just you know my parents stay off my back and uh and you know i feel this accomplishment like i've you know done these things and learned these things and uh gotten these grades and uh so at some point i i I turned the corner and realized like it actually it feels fine to just do well in school and then you know like keep my parents off my back so i can just keep my nose in the guitar you know totally and all all the other moments you know
3: i and i all i really that that resonates with me and i know a lot of other people who have expressed those same thoughts of the idea that you can commit yourself to being like okay what is the path of least resistance that can get me you know to a show in front of my guitar whatever, whatever it is you're passionate about and it's like why you know and then your friends are just making their life so difficult by you know getting straight c's and their parents just being on their case and you're like you know, you just put a little effort there and you'll probably receive a lot of reward and a lot Mm -hmm. of leeway to do what you need to.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I think there was already that sort of, uh, bargaining sort of going on for me. Like I was like, if I do this, you know, to sort of keep my parents happy, like then I get to go on Friday nights and play music with these guys. And like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah
3: right was um so i'm gonna guess like you did you play in a band at all in uh denver or was mineral ostensibly like your first band
4: yeah so i played in uh a lot of bands in denver like because i started out in middle school uh on the drums and that was that's a cool way to play with a lot of people at that age because <laughs> right. there's a lot there's a lot of guitar players and not nearly as many drummers you know um so yeah if you play drums in middle school at least when i was in middle school it's like oh you're instantly in like five bands you know like all the bands in school need a drummer um so i played i was constantly playing with a lot of people um on drums and then at some point later in high school uh a band i was playing with like got had this other guy drummer that they were friends with who really wanted to join the band. Uh and the guy who was playing bass was really a guitar player, and he's like, Well, I really want to play guitar. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'll play bass, you know. So I like figured out bass and played bass for a while, and that sort of uh, led to uh guitar and um so I played in a lot of bands with friends, uh, some, I mean, all over the map, like, uh, some more kind of like eighties, almost new wave sort of stuff. Some, uh, um, some full on like thrash metal. That was really big. Um,
3: please tell me the names of any of those projects because, uh, not like to, you know, find you out on the internet or anything, but just, I think the names of bands when you're that young is so reflective of the sound
4: yeah yeah so uh the band the thrash metal band death metal band i played in it's called mortal enemy perfect yeah um and uh i'm still really close with the the two main guys in it um and i throughout the course of that band like when i first started playing with them um I think I was playing drums and then quickly moved to bass and, uh, never played guitar in that band, but I did write a lot of stuff and did some singing. Like, um, so I was really into writing and, uh, I think they were a little behind in that. Like they, they wanted to do that. Um, But I had, like, once we hooked up, I had all this material. And that happened anytime I hooked up with people to play music. I'd be like, oh, I got this song, and I got this song, and I got this song. And they're all all over the map, like, stylistically. And uh, usually people, you know, whoever I was playing with would be like, yeah, that's not really the sort of stuff I'm into, you know. Um, (laughs) But I was, like, just excited to write with people and, like, throw ideas around. like, so I think I, I realized, pretty soon like i want to do my own music so sort of in at the same time as playing in all these bands i was really starting to write songs and at first it was just filling up these i had these yellow legal pad notebooks like we would just fill them up with songs and often it was just words you know but you know i never thought of it as poetry like i knew they felt like songs and they should be songs so then i would slowly like learn how to play guitar enough to like write chords to them or sometimes rudimentary piano chords. And I would really just like, I would get a melody idea in my head with words I had written and I would find a chord that sounded good under the beginning. And I would keep playing that chord until it didn't sound good under the melody anymore. And then I'd be like, Oh, I need another chord. Okay. Well, let's figure out what chord would sound okay next. And, you know, that's like how I learned to write songs, you know, just like, yep. I didn't learn 20 chords first. I just like learned what I needed to as I went, you know?
3: Right. Yeah. It was like a Swiss army knife, like riff salad where it's like, what sounds good next to this. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. And and so then when you, you know, kind of collected all these different experiences and then headed down to Austin where you felt like you could, you know, cut your musical chops, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. Was there a you know life path beyond the idea of just like you know trying to find some people to play in Austin? Like, was there a sort of career that you were pursuing in tandem of that?
4: No, no, that's uh, that was the career. (laughs) That was all. That was all long abandoned. Any ideas I had of any other career or work? Um, So yeah, it was. It was just I was ready to um, meet people and play music, Um, and so. You know, those last, those first, I was in Houston, like a couple of years kind of off and on around the end of high school before settling in Austin. Um, and at the time I was just playing, writing on acoustic and like playing open mic sort of things. Um, but I had a lot of friends who were in bands and these people had all moved to Austin. And so I moved to Austin and pretty quickly, I think the first summer I was there, I met Scott. We actually met his roommate at a record store and, uh, was talking to him about like asking if he knew anyone who played music and he's like, well, my roommate Scott plays guitar and he just moved here and he's looking for people to play with. So, so we hooked up and, uh, he had a bunch of music and I had a bunch of music and we showed it to each other. And it it's just, I didn't really love his music and I don't think he really loved my music, you know? So we were sort of floundering, like hanging out a lot and like, yeah, we want to start a band, you know? Like, and, Uh, it wasn't until uh, I've told the story, I think a lot in interviews, but like the summer of 93 uh, Siamese dream by smashing pumpkins came out and uh, a band from England called the Catherine wheel had a record called Chrome. And those two records just like totally lit us up and like showed us like a sort of common, place that was exciting to both of us, um, musically. And so we just started writing like a lot, all of a sudden
3: you like to feel healthy, right? And maybe you like to feel healthy while exercising and doing the things that you might typically do in order to be healthy. This upped my health game to a new level. And that is the company Athletic Greens and their product AG1. I started to take this because I was curious about it frankly. I was like, what's this green powder I've heard people talking about it? Like is it cool? Is it taste good? What's the vibe? So I I got it and I with one scoop of it, just put it in my water before I go on my nice 4 or 5 mile walk in the mornings as I listen to my favorite podcasts and walk my dog. It's a it's a real fun process and it tastes good. It has a ton of We're talking 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. So basically, a bunch of good stuff located in one scoop of this awesome green powder. And right now, it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. And so to make that easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Ray, R-A-Y. Again, that is athleticgreens.com Ray to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It tastes good, too. So try it out.
0: right the late, well and i think that's always
3: <clears throat> important to work with like the common language of i mean because usually when you are you know younger i mean not saying that you were a child as you were <laughs> kind of hashing the ideas out of mineral but you know that you always see it's like oh yeah i want to i want to sound like these four bands mash together and like that's just a you know what you're talking about is a further evolution of like what is the playbook that we're going to operate off of that? You know, yes, we're not going to sound like Catherine wheel meet smashing pumpkins, but like, that's going to at least set us off in a direction that we can head towards collecting yeah. together.
4: Yeah, totally. Um, cause I think, yeah, it really, it, it showed us, uh, yeah, this common sort of field of, we could work in, you know, like, these are like some tools we could use, uh, I don't know Scott was really into the heavier guitar stuff and I was writing more like acoustic stuff and um those bands and those records felt like they sort of encompassed like both of those things in a in a sense you know um yeah like they weren't all one thing or another um right yeah you could be you could be
3: pulling these disparate influences that might not on the surface make a lot of sense, but then, you know, as long as you're blending them together appropriately, there's that commonality that people will hopefully be able to, uh, you know, understand. Cause like you saying Catherine wheel, I never would have thought that, you know, sort of bedrock influence in mineral, but hearing that it's like, Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. I totally hear it.
4: Yeah. We loved, especially like that guitar player was so into like feedback and like his his melodies and riffs, like, I think we're really uh it makes a lot of sense to think of Scott like uh latching on to that. Um yeah, it was uh and you know, right around that time too, we really got into uh I think I probably more than Scott, but I really got into like um Super Chunk and Rocket from the Crypt and like all these kind of indie bands that were uh pavement you know um so there was all all of a sudden it felt like indie rock was a thing you know like yeah it's funny like i feel like uh that's when you started hearing those uh that phrase even being used um in my memory like um so yeah we we realized that we were uh destined to become indie rock
3: <laughs> right
4: god's <laughs> yes
3: of course (laughs) indie rock slash emo legends you know (laughs) yes but i mean it's interesting you name those bands because all of them were incorporating melody in interesting ways where it's like Mm -hmm. and, and i think that is the you know the the bedrock of how all of these bands that you know came from the punk hardcore diy leanings and wanted to open themselves up to more melody but being able to do it in a non sort of pop manner and that's exactly why you get indie rock which is exactly what you're talking about so yeah yeah
4: it was it felt really exciting Yeah, uh, felt like something was uh brewing you know totally totally Um,
3: And I'm not going to hit, you know, beat by beat of the, uh, you know, the mineral catalog, because you definitely have, um, you know, opined about that on many different places. But um, Mm -hmm. I know, in regards to uh, something that I find interesting, and I'm sure was very interesting for you to experience, like, you know, clearly mineral, like you guys obviously did, you know, a, a decent amount of touring got out there, you know, in the van you know really hit the ground running from that perspective to you know get out to as many people as you possibly could um and then you know once the band reunited and there was this you know wave of interest and you were clearly playing the largest shows you ever has had as a band and touring was a much different experience um was that i'm sure the whole experience is bizarre because you're just like why do people still care about us like this much like (laughs) this is weird um But how how was the touring kind of juxtaposed against one another where it's like, oh, so we just need to like, you know, not be a band for 20 years and then then we become really popular? Like, (laughs) how did that, you know, like, I guess more so focus on the touring experience, just being like, oh, this is a whole different world.
4: Yeah. Well, it was uh, apparently a brilliant plan we had. Um, right. <laughs> it's a long con. How to, yeah, um, the long con. Yeah. The long con. No, we, uh, it was so exciting and fun. And, um, you know, when we were originally touring with Mineral, we were just so excited to play. Like, you know, like bands, young bands are, you know, like we wanted to go wherever, whenever and play. And, yep. uh if that was someone's house, cool. If that was like a VFW hall, cool. If that was an actual like decent club with a good sound system, cool. You know, like, but to be honest, we didn't play a ton of good clubs with decent sound systems, you know? Um, just like the the world we were in and the trajectory we were on and being a young band and a new band. Um, we got a little bit of that in, in on a few tours. Um, but it was really exciting to get to go like play the music for like at really good venues with really good sound systems and uh, in a way that people could really hear it like in a, a big effective way. You know Um, I think, I think that can exist, you know, and did exist like in coffee shops too. Like uh, there's something about bringing a really loud, band into a coffee shop with only a vocal PA and just letting them like destroy the place that, uh, is probably a very cathartic experience. Um, but it felt really cool to be able to, you know, and we had had a lot of friends, peer bands that we met along the way that kept going longer than us and like getting to go see them when they came through town and see that they were playing at like bigger and bigger venues. And, um, it felt cool to be able to experience some of that, you know, like some of what might've happened for mineral had we stayed together longer. um, It felt cool to be able to come back after such a long pause and like, still get to do some of that, you know?
3: Yeah, for sure. Especially too, where it's like, it's not like, I mean, you personally, it's not like you disconnected from the creation of music and, you know, touring and playing shows and stuff like that. So, because you were still active, you were able to not only, you know, still spread the uh, the word of music, but like you said, be able to watch friends that are doing similar things or, you know, launching new projects, you're still attached to it. So it, I'm sure it made that experience all the more sweeter because you're just like, not only am I experiencing it with my best friends, but, you know, I can still you know be quote unquote relevant in you know a non sort of commercial i'm trying to you know (laughs) become a pop star way
4: yeah yeah for sure it's all felt real fun you know like any of the stuff we did because i think there's just like a a lack of pressure in a lot of ways like um it getting to come back after this long like it all feels like window dressing you know or like uh, the cherry on top like Right, um, it, it feels like living on borrowed time or something, you know? Um, <laughs> well, it's like,
3: I honestly, it's like, I, I put you guys and, you know, American football in very much the same world where it's like completely unintentional success. I mean like success as far as you put out good music, but just the, the critical, you know, slash commercial, whatever you want to call it, response that was completely unexpected and completely unknown. And then all of a sudden you're just like, Oh, so we're playing in front of like the most people we ever have in this one show than we did from like for 4 years of the band touring. <laughs> it's like
4: yeah. this, is, this is weird. It's definitely weird and, you know, great feeling, a great feeling. Like we were um it was really a wonderful, enjoyable experience, you know.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on that same idea of the way that Mineral interacted with the music industry at large, like, I mean, you expressed obviously in the, you know, one day book that the relationship that you guys had with the business side of the band was, uh, I mean, m- maybe for you individually kind of like, uh, I don't really like this. I understand we need to, you know, sign to a label and do all this stuff. Um, But h- how was your relationship with the music industry at large? Like, did you, enjoy interacting with the business side of things or you're just like, can I just like write my songs over here and, you know, kind of put it out there as I see fit.
4: Yeah. Um, I think there was definitely like, a, a a sort of ingrained like protectiveness of what we were doing and what we were making. And, um, like, like this feeling of a seriousness of like, a, like there's a certain, sacredness or sanctity to creative work in my mind. And uh, I think there was anyone, you know, trying to come in and affect that like in a professional sense or with, with money um, always felt sort of suspect to me. Like it, it felt like I, I would sort of, my guard would go up. And, and while saying that, like that's very much a part of who I was. I also really wanted nothing more than to continue being able to play music all the time for, for more and more people, you know? Um, so I think there was a, you know, two sort of conflicting threads within me in that sense, you know?
3: Sure. Right. It's like you, you knew you had to participate in a, you know, either perfunctory or just kind of like, yes, I need to do this because this is what can potentially, you know, not like turn this into a career slash lifestyle, but just like to get you over the hump to potentially, you know, get in front of new slash different people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And I'm sure because of that experience and I know there were certain stories shared within the book but uh, I'm sure you were thrown into some pretty silly slash funny you know courting uh, circumstances of uh, oh we gotta we gotta sign the you know cool cool band from Austin called called minerals so we're gonna you know fly out and treat them to a dinner or whatever the case may be uh, yeah. does, does any particular story stand out to you in regards to it doesn't even have to be like something extravagant but just something kind of hilariously f- funny to you that sticks out
4: yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some, some, some of the more classic stories are, are definitely in that book. Um, but just, you know, something about, like, just sitting in, like, an actual, like, corporation boardroom uh, or, like, you know, like a conference room, uh, talking to people in, like, some of the people were dressed more casually, you know, like because it's a casual job. I work at a record label, but other people are like actually showing up every day in like suits and ties, and like, right? Uh, you know, like there was just a, uh, something very weird about like talking about uh, mineral, you know, with these people and like what we were doing and what we wanted to do, you know. Um, so uh, I think there was just some some visual humor to it at almost all times you know like um <laughs> we just we were <laughs> we were uh we just were in a place we, we didn't know like what we were what we were doing at all you know and so it definitely felt surreal and and silly at times um but it also felt you know good it felt gratifying to to uh yeah to to be able to know like oh you know maybe i don't understand like ex artist or that this label has succeeded with you know but like pretty cool that like you know the guy who signed Whitney Houston wants to sign mineral i mean it's like uh bizarre you know it's right. just, just to be in a world where it's like my parents love Whitney Houston you know like totally they, they would love this
3: Right. Right. And just, yeah, just, I mean, exactly what you're talking about of walking into rooms and interacting with people that, you know, don't really understand the concept that you played in front of, you know, negative four people last night. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you're, it's like, Hey, uh, could, could we, can you guys take us up to breakfast? Because we're like, we're really starving and we only Mm -hmm. got $100 last night. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, um, immediately, at, well, not immediately, but, you know, shortly after Mineral obviously dissolved and, um, you know, you guys uh went your separate ways from that perspective for, you know, all the reasons that you've uh, discussed openly, you know, you went out with Gloria Record and you were, you know, touring and assembling, you know, that band as far as, you know, putting out releases. And uh, I saw you guys once at uh, Chain Reaction. I'm fairly certain you were touring with Antarctica, if I'm not mistaken. Yep yeah um, that was a fun one and it it seemed to me i mean because i didn't witness you know mineral shows when you were actively touring in the you know mid 90s it seemed like loria record uh kind of put a for lack of a better term like a pep in your step not like i felt like you were you know actively depressed per se <laughs> but just that idea that you were contributing something that you know clearly had your footprint on it but was also expanding on everything that you know you were maybe interested in expanding on um do you reflect on the time in the gloria record as being re- reflective of that or is it something that was a completely different experience and you don't even really um kind of consider that comparable to what mineral was doing
4: yeah it felt it definitely felt better pretty immediately, like, uh, musically and creatively, like it felt, uh, I love the chemistry we have in mineral and I love everything we created together. Um, and I love just, there's something really, really unique about the way the sound of mineral gets created just by these four people just kind of being themselves, you know, and doing what they do. Um, So I have ultimately respect for um, the kind of mystery that is Mineral in its sound, but, but at that time, it also felt kind of limiting to me. Like it felt like there's things we can do. There's things we wouldn't be able to do with Mineral, you know? Um, And I think when I first got away from that and started the Glory record, I was really interested in expanding the palette and like, I wanted acoustic guitars and like, you know keyboards and uh yeah i wanted uh to just i was uh excited about expressing like different things and different sounds and uh so it felt very free in that sense In that like it felt like we were a band of people who were i think all interested in that you know like it was more exploratory i feel like um And that was exciting for me at the time.
3: All this time as you were, I mean, especially, well, I, I'm going to guess also maybe towards the, the tail end of Mineral in regards to touring, like, you know, you were building your family. And as we were joking about at the very uh, beginning of the conversation off mic in regards to, you know, putting your kids to bed and, you know, you were developing this, you know, quote unquote normal life as it were. Um, how, how did that kind of interact with the, um, you know, band life where it's just like, I mean clearly, your significant other understood you would be gone for periods of time touring and releasing music and stuff um yeah but you know how how were you i guess kind of uh, attempting to balance both worlds
4: yeah well uh you know uh right towards the end of mineral, I started dating uh the girl who is now my wife um and we've bas- basically been together with you know a few off and on periods like since then um so the whole time in the glory record and you know, everything since mineral, like I had had this, uh, committed relationship. Like we didn't start having kids until our oldest kids are, uh, we have twins who are about to turn 11. So, um, it was post glory record. Like we had kids in between glory record and, uh, ending and the mineral reunions, you know, um, So I feel like I always knew that I wanted and was like building towards, you know, a family like wanted kids. Um, So it felt like a very natural thing for me to do. Um, But, but it never felt like uh, an either or with continuing to make music. It always felt like these are two, you know, important parts of, my identity and who I am and what I want to do in my life, you know?
3: Right. Dad life was always in the equation
4: for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew I wanted it and I knew, you know, my girlfriend wanted it. So we, yeah, I think we always assumed we'd, we'd get there. Right. Were you, uh,
3: were you ever labeled the, uh, dad in any of your bands? Were you the guy waking up first to, you know, get everybody on the road and stuff like that?
4: Oh, hell yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was, uh, so it's funny. Um, I have a, I also have a bizarre relationship with, uh, um, substances. Like I was just not really interested in drinking the way most people were. Sure. Um, Did
3: you you ever, uh, claim edge or you, uh, you you never, I never,
4: I never claimed edge. No. Uh, but I, you know, even when I, I would drink occasionally, you know, like, but, uh, I, mineral and a large portion of the Gloria record like I was just not interested in that like maybe I just couldn't give up that control you know like I think I was a very like tense uh, anxious person and um, I couldn't (laughs) I could not do that you know like I couldn't use that as a way to like I don't know. So, yeah, I, by default then, ended up being the guy who was like, you know, waking up, cursing everyone, trying to kick them out and get them (laughs) into the van just so I could drive us seven hours somewhere while they all had their hangovers. And um, I was very, very curmudgeonly about it, too, like a lot of the time, you know, Um, I, I was not happy about it and didn't didn't love that role but uh i just sort of naturally fell into it you know
3: <laughs> so someone's got to do it you know i mean yeah. there i mean everybody fills their certain roles in bands whether it's like oh this guy can you know is the graphic designer or you know this person's able to order merch and stuff like you all you need to have at least one person that is going to be up before everybody else maybe you know hitting that shower at the person's house you're staying at first and then you know kicking everybody else to wake up and stuff and so you know someone's got to do it
4: exactly yeah i was definitely definitely that guy in mineral and the early glory record and then something flipped at some point and i you know like i think i had a late in life uh compared to when most people do it like uh just full-on like I like drinking. I like drugs. Like, I like, I want to do all this. I want to, like, party and have fun and, like, not be the responsible guy, you know. But I, I had that phase later, you know. Then. Oh,
3: so you you, you reverse engineered that. You waited until your late 30s, like, or your late 20s, maybe.
4: <laughs> I did. I waited until probably my early 30s or, like, right around when I turned 30. Like, my 30s in general were, like, pretty pretty well spent in that way. Pretty- um, <laughs>
3: But you didn't, I mean, fortunately, at least I'm, I'm assuming like you clearly didn't get swallowed up by, uh, you know, the, the darkness as it were, but, uh, did it get kind of, I guess, spotty during those times or was it uh, It, a responsible party?
4: It definitely got spotty. Um, and yeah, like there's, uh, my wife and I, uh, got married in 2008. Um, and it was still spotty for several years. Um, our first kids were born in, Two thousand eleven um and it's been on a like trajectory towards less spottiness, you know obviously that sort of kicked things into gear in in the sense of me realizing like i've gotta I've gotta be a more responsible human being, like I've gotta get my shit together um have kids, you know um so and I've been actually like totally sober uh, for like as a conscious decision for, uh, I think it'll be six years in September. Oh, nice. So,
3: Congrats. Did you like, were you doing the program, I guess, as it were, or were you just kind of, uh, using your own resources?
4: I did at first for sure. Like lean on the program and go to a lot of meetings and, uh, had a sponsor. Um, and then I slowly, like I started going to, uh, like twelve the twelve step thing was never like I I just couldn't I didn't quite like get with it. Um I just couldn't make myself do it for some reason. Um and maybe that's a weakness of my own, but um I started going to a uh like I think it's called Dharma Recovery now. It's more of a like a Buddhist approach to recovery network. Okay. Um, and that, but they have meetings all over too, and like online meetings. And, um, so I got into that and really, I just, I think I just, uh, saw the benefits of that decision and that commitment to sobriety and like, just knew I didn't want to go back. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, um,
3: you saw the, the dividends of that investment in the sobriety.
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
3: No, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the uh, you know I, idea, or actually two last things. And I promise I'll let you go. With the, no uh, y- the, the, it definitely seemed like a time where you were not interested in being sort of overly nostalgic, especially towards you know mineral, and then you know I mean everybody uh, always went directly at you in regards to like uh, the emo legends and like, you know, just the, the, the jokes that can, you know, be made about that uh, labeling. Um, so it seemed like there was a conscious effort of you to not, you know, sort of from a press perspective, uh, address that. And, to be clear, like not from like a, a dickish manner where you're like, Oh, I'm above that. You know, <laughs> like I don't talk yeah. about mineral or whatever, but, but it seems like there was maybe a uh, difficulty in you kind of wrapping your head around how to, you know, speak about it or contextualize it. Um, is, is that me just reading too far into situations or was, was that kind of part of your journey and being able to talk about, you know, your old, old music?
4: Yeah, I think you're totally right read it right um that's i was not interested in talking about it like for the longest time it's like i don't want to be defined by what i did you know yeah. uh for right. four years in my early 20s it's like i want i mean i was so interested in so many things and like i felt like my ideas and my everything was expanding and to have like for so long to feel like all anyone wanted to talk about when they wanted to talk to me about music was This thing like yeah it was very off-putting for me and uh it was something that i felt i think i i sort of went the other way it like pushed me away you know like i i i really wanted everything to be different i wanted to be able to make that just completely disappear you know like sure I, i really wanted like a fresh start um and i think it took a long time uh, for me to realize, like, what and accept what an important part of my life mineral was, and how, how big of a thing it was, like an experience it was, and and also to to really accept like that there was something really so special about it, and that it's a it's a positive thing that so many people like latched onto it and want to keep talking about it and um so it was something that was a gradual like kind of coming to peace with uh, the legacy of mineral you know
3: yeah sure well and you definitely don't want to feel like that old man on the porch talking about the touchdown in their high school football game sort of scenario because you know that that's when it does feel like sad of you trying to rest relevance out of the fact that you know this cool thing you did 20 years ago is is, right yeah but that i mean and to be clear that was never the impression that i got it's not like you were, you know hawking your your wares on the internet being like hey i'll do a mineral cover for your wedding or whatever right (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but you know that could be a good idea i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but um and, and the last thing of just, you know, you continuing to, you know, release and put up music and, uh, you know, play shows and be active with, uh, you know, Zookeeper. And then obviously that transitioned into, you know, Mountain Time. Um, I mean, clearly it's a compulsion of yours and clearly it's something that is, uh, you know, hardwired in your DNA that you're going to continually write and release music, regardless of, you know, how wide or small an audience it, it, that it is for you. Um, and to me, it just seems like it, fits very much in your life properly where you can go out, play a few shows occasionally, there's no pressure attached to it. um, And you're just happy that people are interacting with your art. Um, Am I, am I painting that picture accurately from that perspective or are, are there there other things that you want to, you know, expand into from a musical perspective as well?
4: Yeah, I think you're totally yeah, I think that's a accurate uh picture of of where I'm at and and you know, I think I realized at some point that uh the process is kind of has to be its own reward, you know. Um and I really love uh writing songs and recording songs and putting out those recordings of those songs. And I really think that that's the main thing I want to do with the rest of my life. Um I hope there's other things I'm doing too. You know, like and my life expands in in lots of exciting ways. But um, and I, I I would be, you know, sometimes I see like professional musicians who like, you know, put out records and then go on tour for like a year, year and a half, and think like, oh, that would be fun, you know, um, <laughs> right? But uh, like I want. I would like the um I would like the, the respect that people like that have achieved you know sure, sure. But, uh but it's not really it's not really practical to my life in any way you know like at at forty seven almost forty eight with like four kids to be like i mean it just it doesn't seem like a realistic role for me at this point in my life so i i like I love the idea of, like, uh, what I sort of jokingly refer to as my uh, semi-retirement, where I just get to do whatever I want um, and primarily focus on writing and recording and releasing new music. And uh, if someday I get to, like, go on a big tour and get to really play some of this later music of my, that I've made for people in, like, a, a very professional, like, Setting that would be amazing but uh but i think the the recordings are are the the artifact
3: where do your kids uh interact with your music like are they like oh dad's doing his you know dumb sad guy music again or like mm-hmm. <laughs> how are they reacting to it
4: they all really like it um that's they, cool uh yeah it's cool like they um they like it and they're curious about like when we did the first mineral reunion uh the oldest kids were still pretty young like nobody was really old enough to like have much of an idea of what was happening but by the time we did the 25 year thing in 2019 uh it was funny like i was listening to the the records in the car a lot to sort of when i was as i was getting back into rehearsals and uh relearning everything um and that time uh, they were all like really getting into it. And like, actually they were like, Oh, like play that one. That's my favorite middle song or play this other one. Um, so like, it was cool to see. And they're, they're clearly uh, definitely excited about like what I do. They think it's interesting and cool. And um, so they, yeah, they don't, I think that will come, you know, like I think when we get to a certain point they all I just won't be cool, you know. Like <laughs> right. I, I think that's that's the fate of all parents, you know, in their children's eyes and it you can't be cool forever because they have to like somehow like dismantle their ideas of what they thought was cool before and figure out what's really cool in life, you know, and that's a natural part of what human beings do so yeah i won't i'm sure i won't be cool forever but i think in general like i've been seeing is pretty cool yeah D- that, that
3: well that's special especially too for you to showcase something that you did you know so long ago and then have that resonance with people just you know simply playing in in front of them in front of you know seven eight hundred, nine hundred people or whatever the shows that they went to and just seeing like oh oh that, like that's cool that you know this this random band that dad did which is not common amongst most dad life stuff besides you know like cover bands at you know the local bar or whatever so it's cool for them to at least see you in your element so to speak
4: yeah for sure they like it and it's uh i like i like uh yeah
3: that's awesome that's awesome
4: i like feeding them music
3: that i mean that's
4: like not just not just my own you know like i feel like uh Um, it's fun to see like how much kids pick up on music just because I'm such an obsessive, passionate, like music listener and explorer. And I'm always got something I'm excited about at the time. And, And it's been fun to see just how much they pick up on that. And they're like, Oh, what's this, you know, like, or, uh, you know, they'll tell you if they don't like something or tell you if they do like something. And it's always fun when they ask me like, dad, have you heard, you know, like, You know, like recent examples would be like uh, Seven Nation Army by White Stripes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard that song. Uh, And then they're like, yeah, I want to learn to play that, you know, and then they learn to play it and we can sit around and play it together. And it's fun to like, it's fun to be asked my opinion by them on things they think are cool. They're like, is this cool, Dad? <laughs>
3: <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, ju- just wait for the day they that one of them brings home a long sleeve pink Iron Maiden shirt, and then it's all full circle. That's right.
4: Be, <laughs> I would be so proud. I would know my work here was done.
3: Totally. You're like, well, <laughs> I guess this is the uh, crowning achievement. Everything else <laughs> I've done is nothing.
4: <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is what it's all been leading up to.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Well, Chris, thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate you letting me uh, ping pong around your brain.
4: No problem. I appreciate it. I enjoyed the
3: conversation, right? Thank you very much to Mr. Simpson for his uh, time because I know we had to record this late at night because he's got uh, a ton of kiddos running around the house and, uh, you know, quiet time is uh, of a premium. <laughs> what do you got that many kids running around the house? I also want to give a shout out to his publicist, Mike from Your Media. Uh, I always love to give credit where credit is due because, uh, you know, publicists are uh, kind of uh, unsung heroes of the uh, music biz, as it were. So thank you very much to Mike and Chris. Next week... This is one that I chase down on social media. (laughs) I love when I can punish people on, uh, you know, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, whatever the case may be. I will do anything to speak to certain people. And uh, I have Don DeVore from Ink and Dagger, Frail, and he's also played in a lot of other projects. One that is currently going on is called Collapsing Scenery. But um, Ink and Dagger is a huge band for me. They really flipped my musical perspective on its head to be like, "Wow, not only can you be theatrical in punk and hardcore, but you can have a really uh, sort of outrageous uh, show presentation, and then on top of that, you can push the boundaries of what punk and hardcore is." And also, they were really confrontational, uh, and they really you know got in people's faces and really expressed their opinions and uh, I love that about them, so Don was a trip of a conversation he was um you know like the no one bugs him about i mean some people probably bug him about ink and dagger but uh so yeah we we did that and i chased down don devore from ink and dagger and i'd love to have this conversation and frail oh my gosh frail oh, i'm so excited so that's what we got in the show next week and until then please be safe everybody
2: the show is sponsored by better